0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We are moving into Colossians chapter two. Remember, Paul is dealing with some false teaching in the city of Colossae and and is writing to them. He's never met them. He doesn't know them personally, but somebody that he knew that was converted under his preaching of the gospel had gone there, had planted a church and he's responding to these false teachings that have begun to work their way into the church at Colossae and so we pick up in Colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love Our God and Father, by Your Spirit, we are able to understand Your Word. By Your Spirit, we are able to hear the words that we need to hear from You today. And by Your Spirit, You are shown how we ought to live, how we ought to walk as the people of God. Help us to hear, help us to learn, and help us to take what we learn today and obey You through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So we have talked about the false teaching a little bit that has begun to creep its way into the church at Colossae that that Paul is writing to combat. And it is in this passage that we see that Paul is writing to them. He is telling them, not only them, but some churches, the church in Laodicea and some other churches that this letter will be passed to. He is writing them specifically today. The goal of Paul's letter is that they will not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. We're reminded of those words that we read in our New Testament reading today from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, that Paul did not go to the Corinthians with with big words and, and high philosophical arguments. He came to them with a very simple message. He came to them, he said, seeking to know one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Later on in the book of 1 Corinthians there, as he nears the end, he'll remind them of this as he tells them in 1 Corinthians 15 what was the most important thing that he could teach them. Number one, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and that that fact, that reality was witnessed by a whole bunch of people. Jesus Christ is the answer to false teaching. Jesus Christ is the answer to walking in this life. And that is what Paul wanted the Corinthians to know. That is what Paul wanted the Colossians to know. And as he has proclaimed that through Epaphras to the Colossians, he wants to remind the Colossians of three things that we're going to look at as we answer three questions. Number one, what kind of life are we called to? Number two, what is the foundation of our assurance And number three, on what basis do we seek to remove sin from our lives? First, what kind of life are we called to? Paul opens up this passage with a word that he used just previously in verse 29 of chapter 1. It's that word struggling. He said, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. The root for that word struggling is actually the word root for the word, our, our word, our English word, agonize. Paul is agonizing over the believers in Colossae. He is agonizing over the believers in Laodicea, and he is agonizing over a whole lot of other believers that he has never met. Think about that for a while. He agonizes over believers whom he has never met. How does he agonize over these people? Well, the answer is given to us in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. In that passage, he mentions that he prays for them every opportunity that he gets. Not only does he pray for them, but all the people that are with him pray for the Colossians, every opportunity that they get. Whenever Paul approaches in prayer, he lifts up the Colossians and a whole bunch of other groups of believers, whether he has met them or not. Now this isn't merely a quick, now God help the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and any other people you might decide to save indirectly through my ministry. God be with them. Amen. It's not a, it's not a simple prayer like that. He says in Colossians 1, 9 through 14 that he prays that they would be filled With all understanding, with all knowledge and wisdom, so that they might live lives that are glorifying to God. He prays for their sanctification. He prays for their growth and knowledge. He prays that they be protected from false teaching. In other words, Paul, through his contact with the pastor at Colossae, his intimate knowledge of the difficulties the church is going through, he agonizes through prayer, that God will give them what they need to be wise enough to not be tricked by the false teaching. And it's not, as I said, just a quick prayer. Be with the Colossians today in Jesus' name. Amen. It is an agonizing. It is a struggle. It is a constant going to God with this heartfelt need that he has for the Colossians. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. We don't know what has happened, but some injustice has been done to this widow. And she goes to the ungodly, the unjust ruler of her town or her area. Maybe he's a governor or a mayor or some type of magistrate. And she asked him to deal with her complaint because it would be his responsibility to right the wrong done against her. But remember, she's an un- he's an unjust judge. And what does he say? Go away, I don't have time for this. And so she just walks away and says, oh, well, woe is me, right? No. The next day she goes back and she says, I've had this wrong done to me. It's your responsibility to fix it. Take care of it. He says, nope, not today. She goes back tomorrow and says, I've had this wrong done to me. It's your responsibility. You need to fix it. Nope. And Jesus gives us a sense that this happens over and over and over again until the unjust ruler finally says, you know what? I'm tired of this woman. I'll fix it just to get her to quit coming around. And he says, how much more does your God, your father in heaven, who loves you and works all things for good, how much more will he hear your persistent prayer?" Paul is agonizing over these people. Paul is agonizing over the temptations that they have to follow false teaching. He prays for them daily. He is persistently going to God saying, protect them from these false teachers, protect them from themselves, protect them from their own doubts, their own sins, their own disbeliefs. And Paul is doing here as he's pointing the Colossians as well to compare how his ministry works out. Compared to the false teachers. And of course the unwritten thing there is that the false teachers don't care enough to wrestle to agonize for the people of God. But Paul does. Do we agonize over anyone? We have this prayer list. We, we, we reference it once a week. I ask for updates. It's in your bulletin. You take it home. You stuff it in your Bible. Maybe you just put it on the counter or the desk or the, or the, or the sofa when you get home. Do you agonize over some of these people in prayer? Some of them have been on there a long time. Do you know people who are struggling, maybe not with health issues, but with temptation to follow false teaching? Do we agonize over those who are struggling? Do we agonize over those who are tempted to turn around and walk away from Jesus? Do we agonize over those whom we love that do not know Jesus? What kind of life are we called to live? We're called to live a life of struggling on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and a life of struggling and agonizing over those who need to hear the gospel. And then Paul goes on and talks about the foundation of our assurance. After he points out his work of prayer on behalf of the Colossians, he asks them to compare the foundation of assurance that he preaches to them with the foundation of assurance preached by the false teachers. Verses two and three. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul wants three things for the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and anybody else that has come to, to faith in Christ indirectly through his ministry that he may not know. First, he wants them to be encouraged in heart. Encouragement is consoling help through God's present. And future salvation Saul or Paul wants these people to know so deeply the foundation of their assurance that they are encouraged even in the midst of temptation, even in the midst of this drawing away from the gospel toward false teaching. He wants them to be consoled and helped through God's present and future salvation. Secondly, he wants them to be united in love. That word is literally knit together in love. You know, you break a bone. It's put in a cast so that bone can begin to knit back together and to become solid. God wants these churches. Paul wants these churches to be united, knit together in love. Because you know what? We don't do this fight on our own. When it comes to temptation to sin or temptation to follow false teaching, we need each other. We need to be knit together and united in love. And the third thing that he wants for them is to have a complete understanding of their salvation. A complete understanding of the joy it is theirs. And where do these things, think, where do these three things that bring assurance, where do they come from? Paul says they come from the mystery of God, namely Christ. How do we find the benefits of assurance? How do we be encouraged in how do we find encouragement in heart? How do we become knit together in love? How do we gain complete understanding? In Colossians 1, 27, Paul says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his of his mystery, which is Christ in you the assurance of our salvation where does it come from it comes from christ in you it comes from that union with jesus that we have god jesus will sit in the throne room of god until he returns preparing a place for us he said in john 14. in other words that is our hope that is our assurance jesus is the foundation of our salvation He is the foundation of our hope. Jesus as a human resides in God's presence. Where will the followers of Jesus? Where will those who are in Christ? Where will they reside in eternity? In the presence of God. Because we rest on the foundation of Jesus completed and continuing work. The false teachers were bringing to the Colossians. Uh, uh, two, two different things they were bringing to them a system of secret rites and rituals that would supposedly lead to wisdom and understanding and then the other false teachers were bringing them a set of rules that would supposedly lead to assurance the problem is false words secret rites and rituals will not lead us to understanding and if all we do to find assurance is follow a list of rules, well, we lead to condemnation, not assurance. Paul says Jesus is the answer to fine-sounding arguments and a list of rules. Where do we look for assurance today? We have a tendency we're in the, in the middle of a season that some more liturgical churches than us uh, call Lent. It's a season where you give something up, sometimes in remembrance, but sometimes in assurance. If I can follow the rules and I, you know, I haven't, but let's say I had, had decided to give up coffee for Lent. Michelle will tell you that could be a difficult time at home. I don't drink coffee for my safety. I drink coffee for your safety. <laughs> but there would be, there would be the temptation there to think, well, in order to be a good, Good, godly Christian, I have to really give up my coffee for the entire time of Lent. I cannot have coffee. I'm basing my salvation. I'm basing my assurance and my ability to keep the rules. Paul says the foundation of our assurance is not some secret ritual. It is not keeping the rules. It is Jesus Christ in him alone. Paul said, I resolve to know one thing and one thing only. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And on what basis do we seek to remove sin from our life? So Paul has just hit the Colossians with the fact the Colossians with the fact that he agonizes over them and that Jesus is the basis of their assurance and salvation. And they may be sitting there going, Wow. Man, I fell right in the trap for those false teachers that came along. Man, he used nice words, he, he had a good voice, he had a good Way to present the message that he had. And man, I just fell right in that trap. What do I do? What hope do I have? Oftentimes we think of Paul as this very strict theologian. That Really, we think of Paul as just laying out a whole bunch of rules that we have to follow to be Christians. But Paul has a pastor's heart. Because he wraps up today's passage with these words. He says, I am present with you in spirit. Or he says, "For though I am absent with you from body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. When we struggle with assurance, what's the first thing that Satan says to us? Well, oh, you must not be saved. Did you see how easy you followed after that false teacher? Do you see how easy it was for you to just kind of abandon faith in Jesus? Are you sure you're really saved? That's what the enemy tries to tell us. What does Paul say? He says, I delight because of your faith in Jesus. He's reminding them that, yes, you have a hard fight ahead of you, because, yes, some of you have followed the false teachers, and it's going to take a lot of work to remove that false teaching from the pure teaching of the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. But you can do it because you have faith in Jesus. You're not going to do it because you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and kick all the the false teachers out of church. You're not going to do it because you can follow the rules. You're able to do it because of your faith in Jesus. You know, it's really easy to fall into the trap of false teaching. A lot of false teachers, they're glamorous, they're smooth talkers, they've got all the right words to say, they hit all the right buttons, they tell you, hey, this is the picture of the faithful life. Unfortunately, in our culture today, in this American culture, the the picture that they give you is a, a Christianized version of the American dream. You want two Bentleys in the garage, you want the 17 bedroom house with 19 bathrooms, you want all these things, just have enough faith and sometimes brothers and sisters you and i are tempted to walk down that road paul says here hey it's 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 hard to turn around and come back but you can do it because of your faith in jesus and any struggle that we have whether it's a struggle with false teaching whether it's a struggle with sin paul reminds us that as long that that, that faith in jesus remains intact not because of us but because of jesus And because of that, we can have the knowledge that we can move forward back towards correct teaching, that we can move forward back toward that pursuit of holiness that God calls us to. Brothers and sisters, as we wrap up today, I ask you, do you agonize over your brothers and sisters? Do you agonize agonize over churches around the world? There was a article out in the last couple days of over six thousand Christians murdered in Nigeria Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China, and I know I've just butchered the name of that province. The pastor and all the elders, as as, as well as their wives and some of their children, have been imprisoned with no access to the outside world, no communication since before Christmas. And there are brothers and sisters sitting in this room right now who are struggling with life. Do we agonize over them? We're also asked today is where do we find our assurance when we're the ones struggling with temptation, when we're the ones struggling with the desire to follow false teaching, when we're the ones struggling with the fact that God has called us to be holy as he is holy and I can't see the end of the tunnel and I'm pretty sure that lights a train. Where do we find assurance? We find it in Jesus Christ and him crucified and only there he resides in the presence of God. So will we. That is our hope. And finally, what is the foundation for your sanctification? Do you find it in your union with Christ? Do you find it in him and him alone? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, I do thank you so much for Paul's care and concern, his pastoral heart for the Colossians, for the Laodiceans, for the, the rest of the people that he referenced there. Help us to hear the message that was given to them and and indirectly to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Help us to rest in the only foundation of our assurance, the only foundation of our pursuit of holiness, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And help us not be like the Laodiceans later in church history where they were cold and you were going to spew them out. They were lukewarm and you were going to spew them out. Help us to be changed by the words that we have heard today. Help us to agonize over our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be knit together in love. And help us to have that complete understanding of the fullness of Jesus' work on our behalf. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.